Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison, and welcome back to the podcast. I could not be more excited to bring to you our guest today, Amber Mack. Now, when I asked Amber to please provide a bio so that I could introduce her to the show, she sent me like this one line, humble piece about herself, author, speaker, tech person, um, which is all true, but isn't it interesting how the people that have the highest acclaim have the most modest bio? You know you've made it when your bio is one line, um, but I was not having at it. I did not think it was a good enough description for the importance and gravitas uh, and expertise of Amber. So I want to share a little bit about her personally and some of the information that I've uh, gathered off of her uh, website. First to know that uh, she is a friend that I've made years ago and I uh, was very honored to be asked to make contributions to one of her books, um, which is called Outsmarting Your Kids Online, a Safety Handbook for Overwhelmed Parents. Um, but she has done so much more. She and I also meet regularly uh, in the green room on the Marilyn Dennis show because she's also one of the regular reoccurring guests there. But of course, we haven't seen each other since the pandemic. So this was a great chance to to reunite. 
it would be important to know that Amber uh, is a, from the East Coast. And, you know, in Canada, people from the East Coast have a certain personality. They're very social. They're very humble. They're very community-minded and uh, she herself actually attended a two-room schoolhouse. And when she was growing up, she had to share a party phone line in her town. And so isn't that interesting that she has now grown up to be a recognized international star, uh, somebody who is an innovator and a technology leader? And to that end, let me just tell you, women in tech, women in STEM is are impressive in and of themselves. But she has really raised the bar. So let me just uh, share some of this. So in 2012, 21, Amber was named one of the Bay Street Bull Woman of the Year for her leadership in the technology sector. In 2018, she was named one of DMZ's 30 inspirational women making a difference in tech. Amber has keynoted more than 400 events around the world, and she has moderated sessions with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, former FBI Director James Comey, business coach Tony Robbins, famed astronaut Chris Hadfield, and many other notable leaders. She is also the host and co-host of a variety of podcast series, including The AI Effect, presented by Accenture, uh, Marketing Disrupted, The Feed, that's her own, I, I listened to that one, uh, Command N, This Is Mining, and The Amber Mack Show. And this has led to the following podcast awards. So should I be a little nervous that the podcast award winner is the guest on my show? Oh my gosh. Anyway, so she has won Best Marketing Communication by ACE Awards, Best Tech Series by the Canadian Podcast Awards, Best Innovative Media Award from CMA, Best Branded Series by the Canadian Podcast Awards. The woman's amazing. In 2010, she wrote the national best-selling book, Power Friending. And in 2016, she co-wrote the Amazon bestseller, Outsmarting Your Kids Online, as I said, that she brought me in on, which was wonderful. She is a regular business host and expert for Fast Company, CNN, Bloomberg, CBS, BNN, CTV, The Maryland Dennis Show, and Sirius XM. And that's actually where she hosts uh, the feed. Amber Max started her career in San Francisco and Boston during the dot-com boom as a strategist for Razorfish and the director of marketing for an e-procurement software company. She spent four years in the technology startup trenches. Amber left the startup world to join Microsoft to build one of the first female-focused lifestyle portals. In 2006, she started her own digital agency and the company's first client the world-renowned business coach, Tony Robbins. How about that for landing your first client in a new start on your own company? She now also uh, adds to that roster, Microsoft, Google, GE, PayPal, Nintendo, Canada Goose, Fast Company, and many more leading organizations. And here's a great testimonial. With few equals, writes YouTube co-founder Stephen Chen, MacArthur continues to demonstrate a keen insight towards the continuing evolving fabric of the social web. If you want a strong woman who has a pulse on all things tech and as well as running a family and raising a son, it's Amber. And I couldn't be more happy that she's with us. Welcome to the podcast, Amber. Thanks so much for having me on. So great to reconnect again. We have not talked, I don't think, really since the beginning of the pandemic. So I am so curious to know, with you keeping your pulse on the nation with tech and family life, give me your sort of little social social commentary of what the last two years has you know brought forth what what's going on out there from your lens 
Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, like many people, I spent so much time on social media. Many of us have been uh, staying close to our homes and watching what's happening with families and schools. And and I would say, just generally speaking, that uh, we were quite resilient in 2020. You know, that word resilience was used all the time to really describe that year. And then as 2021 came around, we were getting kind of tired, but things were starting to get better. But the way I feel right now and early in 2022 is that uh, I think what we're seeing right now is that uh, there's a lot of cracks in the ice, so to speak, if we talk about Canada as a society and what's taking place. And I think people are frustrated. I think people people's tempers are shortened. I think um, everybody's at everybody's throats. Uh, personally, I'm just staying close to home and keeping my family close by and my business is going well. But I do think that uh, we are in a really delicate time right right now. Uh, I agree. And I've been so fascinated to see and to watch. And I'm a lay person, so this is why I'm so excited to be talking to you. But I think if this pandemic would have happened at a different time, when we didn't have technology at the level that it was or is, how it's enabled, uh, if it would have been a different time, I think it would have been a different experience of the pandemic for the for the good and the bad. I mean, I, you know, for the good, uh, online schooling, at least, you know, thank God we had Zoom or whatever, you know, Google Classroom so that there was some way to connect. But I also watched how it was so polarizing with people posting about vaxxing and anti-vaxxing and befriending and ghosting. And oh my gosh, it just seems like it was... I think the pandemic and technology are so intertwined and as we look back in the history of this. Do you agree? I think you're exactly right. And I think also for a lot of people, it was a place where they could go vent safely, right? You know, you're not going to get COVID on Twitter. And so yeah. it becomes a place where you can go and express yourself. And, you know, just the other day I, I posted and I said, oh, chilly morning in Toronto. And I have a very loving community of people, but there were still those comments like, oh, you think it's cold there. You're a lightweight. You should see what it's like here. And, you know, you, you can barely post anything anymore without someone having an oversized reaction. So I go back to the fact that, hey, it's not necessarily the technology's fault or the platform's fault. Uh, at the end of the day, although they bear some responsibility, I think, again, we're just at a time during this pandemic where people are really, really tired and they're overwhelmed. And this has become a place through social media where they can go and just say whatever they want. And oftentimes that gets amplified. As I've seen how it's uh, created some rifts in my adult friends and some inappropriate digital citizenship and behaviors with my adult friends, I think, by God, how do we expect our 12 and 13-year-olds to, to navigate this, you know, with, with using impulse control, making good decisions, et cetera, et cetera, um, when we can't even do it as adults, you know? I think you're right. And I also think the the bar has been lowered in terms of what appropriate behavior looks like. And I'm sure you've seen this all across social media. Uh, just the other day, I was commenting on something a, a politician had said where he was name calling. And I, I just made a comment said, you know, I, I, no wonder more women don't want to go into politics. It can be kind of a difficult space to be in. And then I just got this onslaught of people messaging me back, calling me every name under the sun and just kind of proving my point, actually. But uh, no matter... <laughs> I think what we're seeing right now is that um, the bar has really been lowered. And I think as adults, we've become these really poor representatives for the next generation in terms of how to harness and use the power that social media gives us. 
agree. So let's let's get into some of that because I, I probably one of the most common complaints that I have in dealing with families, and you must hear this too, which is you know when we became um, isolated in lockdown and we knew that kids' mental health w- was going to come down because of isolation from their friends, which is so important, etc. They kind of just also lowered the bar on their their rules and their time constraints and and uh, managing their kids tech and they kind of just said we just let it be the wild west we we just threw our hands in the air and and we gave up um did you experience that did you hear parents saying like whatever and <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of parents did definitely just throw their hands up and they decided uh, to get rid of any of those limits that they had in terms of screen time. Because how can you really have those limits when all of a sudden your kid's in online school and they're doing six hours of virtual learning a day? You know, it just doesn't uh, stand anymore. And so I think what we've seen is this really this loosening of those rules of engagement when it comes to digital. But also at the end of the day, and you and I have talked about this in, in the past, I think what we're seeing too is that kids tend to be so much savvier than their parents when it comes to uh, digital relationships and conversations and their activities online that oftentimes parents, I think, misinterpret what their kids are doing online and assume that all screen time is created equal. Agreed. And it's not. So can you talk about positive, negative screen time and how parents can quantify that a little better? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, probably the number one question I've gotten asked over the years is how much screen time is okay. And in a perfect world, I think parents want me to say one hour a day or or two hours a day. And, you know, we all want that magic number, right? When it comes to physical fitness, we know 10,000 steps a day is a good goal. But unfortunately, with digital technologies, it's much more complicated than that. And so uh, all screen time needs to be treated differently. And what I mean by that is that um, you have to consider consider your child's day. Have they already gotten some exercise? If that's the case, maybe a little more screen time is okay. What are they actually doing on those screens? If they're just consuming content, uh, again, that tends to be passive screen time. But if they are creating things and you can encourage them to learn digital skills, that's more active screen time. And that should definitely be encouraged because we need digital skills for the future. So if I, I take it into my own home, I think about it like this with my son. If he just wants to zone out and watch Netflix all day, that's kind of a no-no. But if I see him doing digital art on his iPad and drawing and sharing those images, again, we have to treat that much differently. And so so here's two kind of blurry areas then that, that come in. So um, social media, at what point are you socializing and connecting with your friends? And at what point are you just being exposed to a lot of Instagram, TikTok that's, you know, sending you images that make you feel inferior because you're not thin enough or you're not popular enough or you don't have enough good fashion, um, you know, but if you cut it off, then they can't socialize with their friends, right? So sometimes things kind of come into channels. How do you, how do you tease it out? Well, I think, again, if we go back to uh, thinking about um, negative screen time, uh, consumption of content uh, tends to be the most kind of precarious screen time, in my opinion. And that means just like what you said, if they're just scrolling through TikTok or watching YouTube videos, that is the most dangerous scenario. That means they're just consuming whatever content's being thrown their way through algorithms from these big tech companies who are going to feed them more of things that maybe they don't need to see. Now, if my child is doing 
doing online gaming with a close group of friends and talking on headsets and laughing, you know, this is uh, a way for them to socialize and engage. So I would argue that is a little bit uh, superior than just consuming content. So I think parents have to really understand that, you know, for a child just sitting in their room consuming and looking through feeds for hours and hours on end, that's going to lead them down a path, as you know, to some pretty negative experiences because they are going to start feeling worse about themselves. And depending on what they're doing, that can lead to other real world consequences. Do you know, Amber, have they have they been doing uh, research since the pandemic um, around kids, tech, tech use? Do, Do we know any results yet? It's so hard to pull together research and get a results in such a short amount of time. But do, do we have any numbers about how how it's gone? Well, I think that at the end of the day, there are some good organizations out there like Common Sense Media that I've talked about a lot over the years, but I don't think we have any great specific data about the effects of screen time. But I think we know, and this is more your area of expertise, I was just reading a report recently that was as of August of last year, worldwide um, incidents of anxiety and depression had actually doubled among adolescents all around the world. Now, if you think about an adolescent's day, especially during COVID, Many of them are on screens, and that's going to lead, again, uh, to consequences uh, in the real world. It's just not physically healthy either to sit in front of a screen all day. We know this as adults. The same thing applies to kids. So while we're short on data, I think we can kind of piece things together and understand that um, the crisis that we were in pre-pandemic has just been accelerated. You're right. And, you know, it's you always have to be careful with research because causative versus correlative are two different things. And so, for example, we also know that kids that have dinner with their families on a regular basis tend to do better in all these other outcomes. But is it because they had meat and potatoes and sat down at five o'clock or is it because families that can have dinner together tend to be less chaotic, more connected, more, you know, it's um, you got to kind of watch that you're not filling in between the lines. So it could be that kids depression, anxiety is coming on from uh, isolation, not having their community versus that they substituted that time with being on their computers, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. And and, and I think, you know, again, if it comes back to these kind of basic uh, scenarios that have been put in front of us during COVID, isolation is an issue. You know, we already had an issue with teens maybe struggling a little bit uh, with their social skills. And then now all of a sudden we tell them you can't be within six feet of anyone. I mean, this is going to amplify those experiences and make them more isolated and more fearful about getting out there and building relationships. So uh, I am incredibly concerned and I'm sure you are as well in terms of uh, the aftermath of this pandemic. And do we have the resources that are necessary to be able to get kids kids through uh, to be able to deal with the consequences again of what they've experienced over the past two years. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of, of um, need to, to process and catch up. I've been trying to send an optimistic, you know, message to parents that we're not like ducks where there's like an imprinting period where if you didn't learn to quack and fly between, you know, day 22 and day 27, you'll never quack or fly. You know, it, it means that our trajectories for growth and development have kind of been slowed. But I, I do believe that we're, we're going to catch up. Um, do you feel optimistic that we'll catch up too? 
I feel optimistic that we will catch up, but I do think that there are some kids that are kind of smack dab in the middle of uh, maybe even puberty is one example during this pandemic that will suffer the most. And, you know, my son, um, who is uh, just uh, 13 around the corner, I think his age group is an example of that, you know, at a time where maybe they were building closer relationships, doing sleepovers, you know, uh, just developing friendships that would last a lifetime. That's kind of been cut off for them. So I worry a little bit about that generation and maybe less about kind of the kids who are 10 and under. Right, right. So for you know, there's parents seem to fall in two categories. They're either, you know, because of work, they have to do technological type things or they're tech savvy or tech positive and, and they've integrated it into their life and it's fine. And then there seems to be that group where it's they really sort of have a positional attitude, which is it brings no good. It's not for my family. I don't like it. I don't want to learn it. I don't want it for you. Um, I'm sure there's some grayscale in there and maybe I'm just being a little <laughs> absolutistic here, but I find that there can be the response of, of like I mentioned earlier, throwing the hands in the air or giving up or not trying or, or just wanting to, to shut it down. And I, I really want to encourage parents to, to take home the message. Like it's kind of not an option to just throw your hands in the air and, and, and not sort of do some due diligence on, on bringing yourself up to speed in terms of responsibly managing your parental role uh, uh, around that in, in the household. Um, would you agree that there's just like a minimum commitment that if your kids are going to be on this, there's a minimum requirement of parents to get up to speed on some of this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I have to tell you that every time a tech CEO like Steve Jobs in the past or, uh, you know, uh, any other tech CEO who is uh, in Silicon Valley comes out and says in the media that I do not let my children log on to technology, that we have a tech-free household. I like to remind people when they say that to me, like thinking that these CEOs must know something that the rest of us don't know is that those children live in very privileged bubbles. And that means that if the child of Steve Jobs wants to go and open an art gallery and never use tech for the rest of their lives, they probably have the resources to do that. <laughs> Most of us, right? We're not in that, that same scenario. Most children today need to have digital skills to be able to survive the future of work. We know even from the World Economic Forum and other reports that 50% of jobs are at risk of being automated by computers and machines. So either you figure out how to to jump on the back of this technology wave that we're seeing right now, or quite truthfully, you get left behind. So I'm with you in the sense that for parents who throw up their hands and say, hey, I just, you know, I don't want any of this. I, I don't want to let my kid have any technology. I don't know anything about tech. It's too complicated. Unfortunately, you're really doing a disservice to your child because those are the skills that they are going to need in the future, whether you like it or not, right? <laughs> you know, your opinion as an individual does not change the momentum of this technology acceleration that we're in. So for an overwhelmed parent, and uh, and I will just, even though I mentioned this in, the, uh, in your introduction here, but uh, thank you for outsmarting your kids online, your book on a safety handbook for overwhelmed parents. Um, which was a great contribution for those parents just listening now, the overwhelmed parents, if we could make, can we give them some, some, whatever, three to five most important pieces, you know, or responsible actions that you think every parent who's got a kid that's accessing technology should just at a bare minimum 
best practices that they need to do. So it doesn't feel like they've got to know how to write code or, you know, every single, you know, parenting portal on every app that's on the app store. <laughs> you know, that's, how do we, what are some just manageable three to five kind of like, if you got kids on tech, you got to be doing this. Absolutely. Okay. So the first thing, and I talked about this in the book years ago, uh, is log on or download those apps that your kids are using the most. So don't just kind of throw your hands up in the air and say, hey, you know what? I don't get this world of TikTok. My child's wasting time. Download TikTok. You know, it's free. It doesn't take long to get familiar with it. So download the tools or play the games that your kid is playing, even if it's just a few minutes to kind of expose yourself to that environment. Uh, That would be my first one. The second tip I would have is to think about reverse mentorship. You know, we see this a lot in the corporate world where instead of the oldest person in the company becoming the mentor to the younger people in the company. It's a reverse mentorship. So in the case of a home, then think about your child as the tech expert and work with them so they can mentor you. And it's a bit of a role reversal that I think a lot of parents have a hard time with. But again, if you're open, you say to your kid, hey, I I have a TikTok account. Show me how this works. I bet you they'll be really excited, like most kids are, to actually show you the ins and outs. So that could be a second way that you reach your kid. Um, The third is just, read on a regular basis, whether it's the site I mentioned, Common Sense Media, or listening to podcasts like this, just try to get familiar at least with the language as far as what's happening out there and figure out the best decision for your kids. And that will help you, again, just be ex- being exposed to the technology that is in your home. The fourth thing is, especially if your kid is maybe 14 or under, and I'm just kind of grabbing that age out of nowhere, uh, but I would not allow uh, your child to necessarily go into a room and close the door for hours on end with technology. We have an open door policy in our house. And that means that my son's upstairs. He has a little gaming station set up, but the door is open. So I can kind of keep half an ear on what is happening and and hear any red flags that they take place. So don't let your child use technology in isolation, you know, until you're not able to control that anymore. So I think those four tips are really a good starting point. You don't have to do all of them. But again, just to kind of feel more comfortable with this journey. And the fifth thing I'll say is not so much a tip, Allison, but just to say that, hey, you know what? I'm overwhelmed. Like this is my job to keep up to date on technology. I am supposed to know everything that's happening in the digital and tech space. And every day I feel this sense of being left behind because maybe I forgot to check the headlines on a certain tech blog that day. So it is an overwhelming space. And once we accept that, it's easier to understand that you can only do a little bit at a time. Well, and and I like your point about just needing to know the activities of the platforms that your kids are on. They're they're not on all platforms. They've they've got their favorites. So I know right now Instagram and TikTok seem to be the big two. Is there a third or a fourth? What are the what are the other contenders? Is there anyone anything well, sneaking up in popularity that we should know about? I mean, I, I think you're right. TikTok is probably the number one, and then Instagram is kind of a second one. And and there are different. Um, warning signs for both of those platforms. You know, TikTok, you can spend a lot of time just kind of skimming through videos because it keeps feeding you more of the content you want to see. Instagram, I would be more concerned, especially for people who are struggling with body image. You know, again, we know that the algorithms tend to uh, feed you content that uh, certainly doesn't make you feel better about yourself. Uh, And then there's also the games, right? So uh, 
about a year or two ago, we were talking a lot about Fortnite. Another big game right now is called Genshin Impact, which is something my son is playing a lot uh, with his cousin. So get up to speed on the games, how they work, and just don't assume that every game is bad, right? (laughs) There are adventure or creative games like Minecraft, for example, it's not the same as kind of a first person shooter game. So once you start to understand that the world of video games is also uh, complicated and you should start to understand exactly what your kid is doing, because it may not necessarily be what you think they're they are doing in the first place. And it may be a good thing for them to develop some of those skills. But to your point, sometimes we get turned off by whatever the graphical image is. But I've seen things that look kind of like medieval and dark and slayers or whatever that taught a lot of problem solving and a lot of collaboration, et cetera. And then I've seen little unicorns and horses and ponies for <laughs> girls. But all it was about was consumerism and, and you yeah, need yeah. to buy more crap. And it's like, OK, you can't you can't judge it by the way it looks on the outside. <laughs> Yeah. And then there's also, of course, the in-game purchases, right? I mean, every parent, myself included, has those stories about their child at some point where they were starting to buy digital coins in a game or they were buying digital assets. Because remember, especially when it comes to the world of casual games or video games, many of them are designed in a way that you can personalize your character. And in order to personalize your character, you often need to buy certain things. So you're right, that is that that consumer element to those games. That's probably why most parents love uh, games out there like Minecraft. Again, it is more about problem solving, collaboration, creativity, and uh, it tends to be one of those games that is rooted in education. And there are a few of those out there. Yeah. This, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about how I want to get new rims on my bike on my Zwift app and upgrade my, my T-shirt. So <laughs> <laughs> I got to look good in my like, you know, artificial world of cycling since I can't right? go with my... <laughs> since the beginning of the pandemic, I've really seen an increase in the amount of struggles that our teenagers are having in many areas of their lives, and that means I've had a lot more parents reaching out for support. So I am offering a Parenting Strategies for Teens and Tweens webinar, which will be recorded. So if you can't attend it, you can get a copy of the recording and listen to it at your leisure. And so in this webinar, we're going to be talking about some of the developmental and psychological issues that happen in adolescence, about switching up our parenting styles. We're going to talk about some communication and problem-solving skills in order for us to address some either quiet or uh, powerful power struggles, uh, really about working to keep the relationship harmonious, close, and intact during this difficult transition for families. Uh, We'll talk about reducing high-risk behaviors, navigating social media, gaming, technology, and of course, anything else that you bring to uh, discuss during the Q&A and chat. So I will include a registration link and more details in the show notes, and we'll see you soon. blockers and trackers and time devices and things that shut off certain devices and and that whole world of of control through using using tech to stop tech <laughs> Well, I think that many of the routers, for example, that have the apps that go along with them that allow you to pause the internet, um, and more and more we're seeing this technology exist even in antivirus software, where you can pause the internet for the whole family. I think those can be beneficial, especially if you want to make sure that the internet is paused for things like homework time or meal time, or maybe your kid is just, you know, 
gaming too much or doing something in excess and you need to have some sort of limit, I think they can be powerful. But I would tend not to um, use those in a reactive way. And you would know the psychology of this better. Uh, but my gut would say that you would introduce them as a way for the parent to have those barriers in place for, for mealtime homework. Um, but it can't always be used as a threat. What do you think about that approach? I, I'm completely with you on that. I, I love that you said a re, the, the the word re, a reactive solution versus sort of a family working towards a common goal of using technology for the good and not letting it not letting artificial intelligence and our little dopamine reward centers that it targets for attention overwhelm us so that we can't live the life that we most intentionally want to have. And and that again isn't just a problem for children. I think it's a mutual goal for the whole family because there are just as many kids telling me that they don't like their parents texting and driving, that they don't like that their parents when they're watching a movie and they really want their parents to see this great show that they're following on Netflix and then their parents are checking their work emails. And we're, we're, we're just as guilty of our relationship with technology and the pull it has on us. So I, I think when it is a, a family conversation about sculpting our lives and using tools to help us, like you know, turning off. I love that they now, my daughter just today, I, I texted my daughter and said she had her notifications off. And I was like, oh, she's at work. I guess she doesn't want to hear from her mommy. That's good. That's <laughs> so, well, that you're right. Like just harnessing the power of the technology, but not, um, uh, again, not in spite, right? And I think that's hard for people to do because when you have that power, you want to use it. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I think there are ways to introduce some of those restrictions into the home. And you're right. You can also model that behavior as well, which is so important. I mean, at the end of the day, we're raising our children so that they leave our homes and function independently without us there to safeguard, you know, be the Spider-Man that descends from the ceiling and swoops and grabs their phone and says, you need to do your, you know, first year university, uh, you know, chemistry assignment, <laughs> we're not going to be there. So if they can't manage it independently and autonomously while they're under our roof and we have these opportunities to help them build that muscle, build that self-discipline, use those tools and apply them themselves, um, they're, as soon as they leave home, we're setting them up for failure if they haven't figured it out in these whatever six to five, seven years that our kids are you know really embedded in technology in the way that they are during adolescence, right? So... And, and also figure out the technology that makes your life easier, right? And that is exciting for the whole family, whether it's an app that identifies uh, leaves or flowers, and that means you can go on a nature walk. Another app that I use, and full disclosure, it's a client of mine, is called Mido, but um, it allows me to directly pay my son for any chores that he does around the house. Um, unfortunately, I have a very uh, go-getter type of child, so now he's making too much money, so I'm paying him too much for these chores. <laughs> You're paying more than a cleaning lady. <laughs> yeah, it's getting to that point. I think she's going to be out of a job, unfortunately. But, you know, again, it's a great example of apps that can actually enrich your life. Like he understands that when I assign him a task, he doesn't have to do it, but he doesn't get any money if he doesn't do it. So, you know, if it's $2 to, to clean the room and vacuum upstairs, there's no pressure on him to necessarily have to always do that, but he's not getting paid. And, and what he loves about that is that it motivates him uh, to be able to find chores. And he's always asking me, do you have any more Mido chores? Do you have any more Mido chores. So here's an example of technology that is teaching him 
financial literacy, uh, work responsibility. Uh, it's not super intrusive, right? It's not like he's spending time on the app. He just wants to get paid every Saturday. And then he has a card that he can go and use like a debit card. A great example of technology that actually makes our lives better as a family. So, uh, you know, I I, uh, I know that a lot of apps are set up that way. And I always worry that the kid's going to end up getting like $100 from for their birthday uh, from their grandma. And then they go, no, nah, I don't want to take the garbage out. I don't want to make my bed. And you're like, hey, that wasn't the point. <laughs> Just because you suddenly got independently wealthy doesn't mean you don't need to stop helping out around the house. But I, I do, I, I know for, for me, one of my favorite apps, although they've changed it now, but um, with my kids when they were teens, uh, if they finished the last bit of mayonnaise, then we had this grocery list that was shared between the apps and they could add the mayonnaise to the grocery list so there was always like if you know i'd open up and go, oh look at that we need baggies oh great we need things i would never have noticed or whatever as three kind of kind of independent teenagers we're all on different schedules coming and going at different times and so that little community space for just things at the grocery store was like what did we do before technology i just love that <laughs> Oh, you're right. And also just the things that you can teach through some of the technology, right? Like when I think about using an app where you're you're paying your kid for tasks, whether it's things like shoveling the driveway, and many, many people will say, well, he should sh shovel the driveway anyway. Uh, my son's doing stuff for like two, three, four dollars. Like this is not heavy pay. He's just doing a lot of it. But I'll also say if you want to shovel the neighbor's driveway, uh, again, that's another couple of bucks. And we're showing him that it's good to extend, you know, kindness into the neighborhood and he'll be rewarded for that as well. So so there's lots of ways that you can use this technology to be creative with your child and figure out what works for them. Uh, and it's not going to work for everyone. You know, some kids are not going to be motivated by this, uh, but find that technology that does work for your kid. And, and in some ways it can make your life better. Like when my son is doing chores around the house and I hear him vacuuming, like that is so worth two bucks for me. <laughs> it's not even funny. <laughs> what Have you got some other fave apps? Like what's, what's come out new that's been like, oh, this is going to take off or this is something everybody needs to know, but every family needs to know about. Uh, it's a great question. I'm actually just opening up my phone right now because it's always fun to see, you know, one of the apps that I really love, and if your child's maybe kind of even 10 or 12 and older, if they are really creative, I am so impressed with Canva. And, and you may know Canva already, right? I haven't it's played with it, but I've heard of it. Describe it to our listeners. So basically, it's an app that allows you to mock up everything from posters to social media images um, to creating presentations, whatever you might want to do. It's like a, a design app that is incredibly powerful. What's really interesting about this app is that um, over the years, they've improved it so much. Um, so it used to be if you wanted to be a designer, you had to really know tools like Adobe Photoshop, right, way back in the yeah. day. And now it's kind of drag and drop, but kids can be so creative with that. So that's an example of an app that will help to teach your kid about digital skills. Um, there's a free version which has lots built into it. So that's a great place if your kid's really creative and they want to be able to play around with something. Um, that's an app that we use on a regular basis. I had mentioned the, the Mido app for chores, which is also great. Um, even some of the apps that are built into phones. So if your kid has a phone, whether it's, you know, an Android phone with like Google Fit, where they can monitor their steps, those type of activity things can be really great great for the child as well. Um, there's just so many examples of apps, again, that don't mean that you're kind of just vegging out on screen time, but instead you're actually doing something productive in the real world. And those are the apps for me that I think are the, the best because you're teaching digital skills. Um, but again, we're not just zoning out watching videos. You know, it's a good one that came to mind as you're saying that. Um, and, uh, and I was involved in their launch, but I was just so impressed with it. 
uh, which is Earth Rangers, you know, which is about teaching kids ecological, environmental activism, etc. But again, you know, we want to get kids outside and out into nature and have them experiencing these things contextual. So the activities you get from your phone, you load on your phone, but what you do, the building of the the bluebird box or the picking up litter in the ravine or the identifying habitats or whatever, that all happens out in the real world. So it's a really nice interplay between parents. It's sophisticated enough. It needs a little parental guidance because a kid can't drive themselves, you know, to the... Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, so there's there's a family interactivity, there's education, but it really is getting kids outside, but it's gamified. It's got the education and gamification built into it. I, I think it's just a lovely blend. Yeah. And that's another thing. Yeah, I'll mention this one as well, because uh, as I scroll through my hundreds of apps on my phone, it's another <laughs> one that came up. Uh, just at the geocaching app, there's an official geocaching app. And uh, geocaching, if you aren't familiar with what it is, I mean, it's been around for a really long time, but um, it's having a bit of a comeback, especially during pandemic days, where people actually hide these little caches. So it may be a little capsule that has a scroll of people's names written on it who have found that particular cache. Um, it could be a, a little figure that someone's hidden in a tree and then you go and you know put your name on a piece of paper if you also found it and then you mark it as found in the app. So the past few weeks when we don't have anything to do, what we'll do in our neighborhood is we'll go and see what caches are around and then we can walk around and try to find them. So this is really fun. It works especially in urban environments if you can walk within that, that area um, or if you're in the suburbs and have a car. It's a great fun way to explore but also get kids outside and use technology. But again, that's not really at the center of what you're doing. You're really going on this really fun scavenger hunt. And so um, we're on such a good positive note that I almost hate to like bring it down. (laughs) Oh boy. But I know, but I just, in the last few minutes while I have you, I thought I'd be missing an opportunity if I didn't just say, okay, so when do the five red flags come out where you say, no, 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 that app is known to be a bullying app or, you know, that is known to lure kids into chat rooms or like there, there is a dark side where parents need to know, like this one is really not okay. So I want to, I, I do want to know if there's any that you know that are just like would never touch it with a 10 foot pole for children. That's my one question. And and then the second um, question is about, um, uh, age appropriateness for any of any any app like that age limit thing so i'll, I'll push both of those back to you to, to reply yeah uh, and i'm sorry to keep mentioning this website but I, I just have to mention common sense because that's a place you can go and you can actually drop in the name of any app uh, and what it will do it will tell you the kid rating of the app so if kids think it's appropriate or not and then it will tell you the uh, adult rating of the app whether or not adults think that it's appropriate so i kind of like that they have that mix in terms of uh, just talking about whether or not that's appropriate for what you would want to do. Um, when it comes to apps and tools that you don't want your kids to do, to be honest with you, or don't want them to use, uh, I would say that, you know, on any platform, it is possible that they go down the wrong path and start speaking to someone that they shouldn't be speaking to. And so I don't think you can totally protect yourself uh, by saying, hey, don't use this app or don't use that app. Sure, you know, maybe they don't want to, you don't want them on Reddit. You know, it tends to be a, kind of a, a more adult space. <laughs> if you haven't heard of Reddit, you know, maybe don't tell them about it. Um, but even Fortnite is another example of gaming. You know, there's a lot of trash talking that takes place within the comments and can be really negative. Uh, so again, that's why I talk about this kind of open door policy, walking into the room, knowing who your kid's playing with. All of those things become so critical, right? So 
they understand that they really shouldn't uh, share personal information with people they don't know. They should be careful about what they say. All of those things are so uh, key in that environment. Um, in, and, and then, of course, you know, when it comes to even just overspending in these platforms, like Roblox is a great example of uh, a game that a lot of kids play. And uh, unfortunately, you can spend a lot of money in that environment as well. So there's a lot to pay attention to. But Alison, you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's not like one child is using all of this stuff we're talking about, right? Uh, they're probably, they probably have one or two favorite places, get to know those places and um, make sure you give them some guidance for how to use them. And then you oversee what they're doing, especially if they're younger, you know, the, the tween and, and younger years, I think that's especially important to kind of have an eye on what they're doing online and who they're engaging with as well. And, and do you believe in doing that openly with the open door policy and, and the little spot checks or, uh, or, or how do you feel about snooping and going into like search histories and doing things behind their backs? Honestly, I have done a bit of both. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it really depends on your child. Um, obviously, I think it's good if you can have those open conversations, but there's going to be points in your child's life. Uh, just like when I was younger, my mom was worried about me. Unfortunately, she read my diary. <laughs> and uh, that was a reality of being a 15-year-old girl. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we have to be uh, open and talk to our kids as much as possible. But if you're really worried about your child, then I do totally understand that sometimes you may snoop around and sometimes you may really need to understand what they're doing, but maybe don't overreact to what you see because you may not understand the language of that platform. You may not understand that they're not talking to a stranger, but maybe that's just, you know, the moniker that their friend is using online that happens to be different than their actual real legal name. So those type of things, I think parents can go and look at something and overreact like, I'm going to kill you. You know, if they're playing Fortnite, that's what you do. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, and to your point too, even as a family counselor, when I take on a new client, I have to tell them the limits of my confidentiality. And I have to break confidentiality if I think there's harm to self or others. And I think as parents, we want to give our kids privacy and and show them that we trust them. But if we start our spidey senses and we're starting to see some strange things and it's a concern and we can't really get answers or whatever, um, then sometimes I think there's that opportunity for that breach of confidentiality. Not because I'm curious, not because I want, you know, you got to save it for the for the big moments or you'll you'll erode the relationship but i do think to your point there is a there is a time and a place where that's just the best course of action for parents for sure yeah. And, and what happens when a child doesn't have tech skills or digital skills? You know, all of a sudden they're gaming with a friend and they have their camera on and they don't realize how to turn their camera off. And then all of a sudden they've shared a really private moment with a bunch of kids that they're gaming with. I mean, this is, again, I think tech skills, um, you don't develop them just for the future of work, which I mentioned, but you also develop them to protect yourself, right? Like my son understands uh, very clearly, you know, the light comes on when the camera's on, he should have a neutral background. He shouldn't be wearing any of his school uniforms, those type of things have to be kind of embedded in your child so they understand how to protect themselves in that environment. So also using web cameras, right? Just have a, an honest conversation. You know, where's the camera pointed? When do you need it on? When should it be off? Uh, what are the boundaries around that? Because we see, again, so often online, uh, if a child has, has been on video and they've done or said something, how unfortunately other kids may record and send it. And then that leads to a whole other host of problems. Capping. I just learned the term capping. They're capping. 
And for parents who just heard that and thought, oh, I didn't know any of that. Let's just remember that the same way that we uh, as parents had to learn about street proofing, don't talk to strangers. If somebody says their dog has gone missing, you know, you get an adult, you don't go with like we, we, we were fine with teaching street proofing. This is exactly the same thing, but it's just in a digital capacity. So you've got this parents, you, you can do this where this isn't an extraordinary ask at all. It really isn't. I don't think it is either. And I I also think, you know, again, if you're not that tech savvy, I do think it's an opportunity to learn along with your child. Uh, And, you know, maybe they're okay with you friending them on one of these platforms. Maybe they're not. Maybe they can send you some accounts to follow. So I started doing this thing with my son, which may be a great way for a parent to get into TikTok, which is... I don't really engage with my son on TikTok, um, but I have a TikTok account. So I've asked him every day to, to send me a TikTok that he thinks is really funny. And so he just texted me one hour ago. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but this is kind of a thing we've had like, hey, I want to learn a little bit about your world, right? What do you think is funny? What are you watching? And all of a sudden, you know, for many kids, it's really innocent what they're watching and they, they're really silly videos. But this is a way that he can share that world with me and I can also learn about it as well. And there's a way of getting to know him better and a way to open a conversation. And that's a, that's a relationship builder. How beautiful is that? Absolutely. And, and, and he loves it. He thinks it's fun. He's like, did you like that video? Was it funny? And, you know, I'm not saying, hey, give me your TikTok account so I can watch everything that you're liking and doing. I'm saying, you know, what are you liking on TikTok? I need some content. Like, you know, I'm old. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> this is my thing with him. And he does it on a regular basis. And then I kind of get his sense of humor. I post some of those things on Instagram. He sees that I post them and he's like, oh, I'm so glad you posted that. And so I'm in this world that he's in. And it's not sort of a, a foreign experience for him to talk to me about TikTok anymore. And I often hear uh, kids say, you know, and my mom, she even took a picture and she put it up on her Instagram. <laughs> like I cleaned my room. She took a picture, she put an Instagram. I made dinner. She put it on Instagram. They're so flattered. You know, this is like, it's oh good. my gosh. Yeah. I know that's another thing too, right? With kids. I mean, right. My son's at this age right now where I have to ask him before I post any pictures. Of oh him. yeah. Oh yeah. And that's just a kind of standard thing that you should want to do. Uh, he has to okay them. And uh, I'm, I'm good with that. I get it. You know, he has a right to protect his privacy, so I can appreciate that. But again, we're kind of all learning along the way. And uh, as much as I mentioned, like off the top of our conversation, that this is the space that I live in, even with my son, I'm learning from him all the time. So I'm open to that. I don't have any arrogance as an expert that I know everything. And, and that puts me in a much better relationship with my son. And I just want to add to that, and then I'll give you the final words here. Um, you know, my daughter's also very much curated everything that I posted, and I would never disrespect that. I always ask them, is this okay? Is that all right? Whatever. Uh, but now that my kids are older, what I find is, first of all, they're on social media less. It's kind of lost its novelty. Not that they're on. They are. They're absolutely on there. But that grip that it has on teens does loosen and and, and let's go with age. Um, and so does the vanity and the, and the worry about how they're presenting themselves to the world. So just know there's also a developmental ages and stages and phases. And if you think that they're just like crippled by this or locked into it or like so uh, self-conscious or whatever, it's, it's, it's part of the process. It is, it is part of the process. They'll come out the other end of it, you know? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. You know, two years ago, I, w- I was so worried in the summer of 2020 that my son was playing Fortnite regularly and I could see his mood kind of changing. This only lasted for a couple of months. Uh, and today here, he's a kid who honestly always has a sketchbook in his hand with markers and pencils and he drew 
draws every single day. And, and you know, it's amazing he has that tactile experience, even though he has access to all of this tech in the home. So we've really tried to nurture that part of it. But I think you're right, is that, you know, everything's evolving. Um, and don't think because your kid's spending a lot of time playing games right now that it's going to be like that for the next five years. You know, we can kind of push them in different directions depending on what is healthiest for them. Yeah, yeah. You're saying the next five years. Heck, the next 40 years. They, they think they're all just going to be living in the basement <laughs> being gamers and not getting a job. The, the parents love to catastrophize. So take a deep breath, parents. Um, Amber has lots of great information for parents. And uh, let me let me just say, Amber, do you want to, anything that you wish that you was included in this conversation um, that you want to wrap up with? And then I'm going to let you uh, give a little call out to how people can find you and continue on with you. Well, I think the last thing I will say is that if you notice a behavior change with your child and technology, you know, one of the things I did with my son going through that experience where Fortnite just wasn't the right game for him is I would ask him on a regular basis after he played Fortnite, um, hey, how are you feeling right now? And he was like, oh, not great. I didn't like that. You know, I'm not feeling well. And he started to be able to uh, kind of piece things together to realize Fortnite was not making him feel good. And I didn't do anything for days and days beyond just asking him those questions. So sometimes, you know, maybe just you know, keep it to a question, have that open conversation, and that can open a lot of doors. Um, I do want to mention uh, every Tuesday, I post a, a newsletter that I send out via email, uh, no strings attached. I'm not selling you anything. It's really all about how to basically stay up to date on the latest technology, lots of tips and tools for parents and beyond. Um, super easy to subscribe. You just go to ambermack.com newsletter and uh, pretty straightforward. If you really need that resource, again, just to stay up to date with the fast paced change that we're all experiencing right now. And I can I can vouch for this, folks. I subscribe. I get it. It's wonderful. And I, I love that you've got so much content there for families. It's, it's wonderful. Um, so uh, we will put in the show notes all your handles and, and how to connect and how to get onto that newsletter, et cetera, et cetera. Is there anything upcoming, any any talks or any events that people can register for? Any any new books in the in the <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think what I learned years ago writing Outsmarting Your Kids Online, and, and you were so great to contribute to that book as well, is is that uh, when it comes to digital skills and uh, teaching families how to engage online, sometimes a book isn't the best because uh, things are changing so quickly. So I've kind of swift shifted my uh, focus from doing books uh, to publishing things like uh, newsletters. I do a weekly podcast called The Feed. And as far as speaking events, I do speak a lot in the virtual uh, world. Nothing at schools just yet. But if you follow my newsletter at the bottom, it says coming up. And those are all the places that I'm speaking virtually over the to come um in the feed is it is is it the same michael b that co-wrote the book with you no different one fun no, okay. you just like michael b's <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i wasn't even gonna do your podcast allison it's just the wrong <laughs> i know allison s just doesn't cut it <laughs> <laughs> oh amber thank you so much for your time for your knowledge for the contribution that you make free to parents all the information that you share with them and uh, hopefully in the future we'll have you back I would love that. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.